0: Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We begin our study through the thessalonian letters and it's so beautiful because these are the last letters before the pastoral epistles or paul his exhortation to uh the churches at varying levels of growth and maturity in christ but then we're going to get into the pastoral epistles this is pastor to pastor uh, not yet we have to finish the Thessalonian studies, but we make these distinctions if you're if you 're listening for the first time and you, you haven 't gone through our uh, previous studies, especially through uh, Acts and Romans and First Corinthians on up to where we are. Uh, purpose in your heart to do so to to listen to those messages because it's very important, especially when we, when we get into First Corinthians and you're going to see how from First Corinthians uh, and in, in, in uh, 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 Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, uh, you're going to see how there's not just growth and maturity, but with growth and maturity, how the tenor changes how paul exhorts uh varying levels of maturity and growth uh it's very important to understand that and it will help you in your own growth and it will help us together in our growth unto christ and growing unto him now understand that when we get into uh the thessalonian letters Uh, 1 Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, these are the the last letters uh, to the churches, and then we get into the pastoral epistles. But remember, Colossae, Philippi, Ephesus are not Corinth and Galatia, and it's kind of uh, uh, similar with Thessalonica. And we make these distinctions how Colossae, Philippi, Ephesus are not Corinth and Galatia because... When we study the the books and the letters, you see how Corinth and Galatia, Philippi, Ephesus, there are unique attributes to those regions and varying impacts to the saints and influence on the saints. Uh, In the case of Corinth, not good. And, you know, you see the remedy and how the Lord deals with certain situations using his vessels, using vessel Chloe, using vessel Paul, using vessel Timothy, and all these people that the Lord has and he uses. And then at the same time, you also see how uh, Galatia had its share of issues from a doctrinal sense that like Corinth had a had its share of issues in terms of like uh, uh, the works of the flesh and abundance of the works of the flesh and a refusal to grow up and mature in Christ. And then you get into Galatia, uh, uh, Galatian studies, and then you see how it's more of a doctrinal attack. Uh, a doctrinal attack remember the um, the the, the Psdelphos the secret brothers the ones who present themselves as brothers in Christ but really what they want to do is bring folks into bondage bring believers into bondage by leaving Jesus Christ and going back to the law and see when you study these passages, you have this understanding and making these distinctions because, you know, you say like, "Wow, you know, the, the, the perilous times in in in, in 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 Corinth, perilous times in Galatia." But don't forget, there's perilous times for us today in last days church. Perilous times—it is prophesied. All kinds of winds of doctrine that have entered the church. It's one of the signs of the times, and yet there's a steady foundation, which is in the truth of God's holy word. We kind of see Thessalonian, the Thessalonian letters as like a do-over, so to speak. And when we say a do-over, do you remember, if you've been listening for, walking with us for a while, you remember how when we get into 1 Corinthians, and we see we 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 make the we look at uh, uh, uh on the on, on the timeline you see how when we re- reference acts and the the birth of the church the beginning of the church and then you look at the uh timetable on timing of when the first letter that was written to first corinthians the, the 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 letter which was which is first corinthians and then you see how there was that three-year gap. Now, what in the world happened for that three years? Well, what didn't happen was growth and maturity. You have three years of arrested development in Corinth. Not good. And you see the fruit of it as evidenced in the fruit of the flesh. Not fruit of the spirit. Fruit of the flesh in Corinth. And we make these distinctions all the time. We reference Corinth all the time. Remember, I have this love-hate relationship with Corinth. It's I I, I, I I It's... it's painful to 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 read it's painful to fathom it's painful to because you see the works of the flesh but that's the hate side in my love quasi love hate relationship i love it but you know there's just like oh it's a big bummer but i love it because we see how the lord deals with it i love it because we see not just how the lord deals with it but how the lord uses his people chloe and paul namely chloe and paul and those in chloe's household And it's beautiful. It blows me away because you see the grace and mercy and not just that, but you see the justice of the Lord in the administration of justice as new covenant believers, namely the separation from the leaven and the remnant. And then once the remnant is separated, it's like, okay, come on, let's get to work and let's 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 get everybody cleaned up. And it's in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. And so we see, if you're listening for the first time, you know, you, you might be like, you know, like, what in the world is he talking about? You know, three years, but purpose in your heart, purpose in your heart to listen to those prior studies because it will help you in your trajectory of growth. And I say that by faith because I don't want a trajectory of, you know, arrested development in you In any of us. We're in the same boat. I don't want a trajectory of, you know, becoming dumb, you know, getting dumbed down, you know, at a time when, you know, in these last days, at a time when we need to be on point. I want us to grow and mature and understand. And so we see this, what we like to refer to as a do-over. Because Corinth had three years of arrested development. And you see the fruit and there was bad fruit. It was fruit of the flesh. And it was evident to start. It was like in your face. And then we see this do over with Thessalonians because they're a very young church, a very young church but then at the same time you have a similar time period 3 to 4 years you have a very similar time period where you know the 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 birth of the church the founding of the church and then and then 1 uh, uh, Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians it's not just you know 3 years of arrested development like Corinth it's 3 to 4 years of growth and development through you know certain events that we're going to look at today in this as as we enter into 1 Thessalonians. Turn it I know I said, you know, look, look turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, but before we get there, uh, <laughs> turn to Acts 17. The book of Acts chapter 17. And in the book of Acts, chapter 17, <clears throat> verse 1, we see this. Little refresher course. If you've been walking with us for a while, we've we've gone through these studies through the Book of Acts, but a little refresher course because we're in. You know, we want to get the. You know, see what's going on geopolitically. See what's going on situationally. See what's going on. A little layout of the land of Thessalonica, and so we see here in Acts seventeen verse one. Now, when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to. Thessalonica. Now, this is Paul in his journey, in his missionary journeys in in proclaiming the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. He says that in Thessalonica, in verse 1 of Acts 17, he says where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And this is all recorded. The book of Acts was written by Luke, Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke. This is all recorded by Dr. Luke. Keep that in mind. And so in verse 2 says, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them. I love this so much because he doesn't avoid the fight. And not that he wants to go into the synagogue to fight, but he goes into the synagogue to engage. And remember what was happening with Paul and how the Lord was using Paul is that, you know, you see, and we reference this in our study in Galatians, but you see Paul transitioning from a new believer in Christ and you see, in the course of time, and it wasn't just like, you know, after a month, after two months, you know, Paul spent some time, you know, in certain regions as he didn't seek out the uh, uh, the apostles. When he became a Christian, he did not seek out the apostles. He sought the Lord. And the Lord taught him, the Lord trained him, the Lord showed him these things. And remember, before Christ, he was a Pharisee, a Pharisee, a student of Gamaliel which is no small thing. That's like saying, you know, this guy's, you know, with the, the uh, Oxford, you know, uh, 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 MBA from Harvard University. You know, it's, it's like, whoa. They like, when somebody says, oh, I got my uh MBA and you're like, you know, well, where'd you go to school? And they say like some, you know, you see the TV commercials. It's like, oh, I went to, you know, this university. It's like, okay, you know. But then somebody says, oh, I got my MBA from Harvard University. It's like, whoa, okay. And so, we see this in Paul. His custom was to go into the synagogues because, remember, he had a heart for the Jews. I mean, he had such a heart for the Jews that he says that he would be he would rather be anathema from Christ for his brethren, for his countrymen, according to the flesh. That's what he said of the Jews. That he would much rather be separated from Christ if it meant that his countrymen, the Jewish people, could come to Christ. You see how hardcore that is? I mean, have you ever had love for a people that you would prefer them to come to Christ and you be separated from Jesus Christ and that's how much you love them? You see? Puts things in perspective. And so Paul didn't enter the synagogue to, you know, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight with the religious leaders and I'm gonna argue with them and cause an uproar. No, he had a purpose. He wanted to win souls. He didn't enter the synagogue to, to fight per se for the sake of fighting. He went into the synagogue, yes, to fight, but there was a purpose behind it. It was to win souls. It was to convince them that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And then from that point, okay, balls in your court. Just like we see in the Old Testament. Once a person is persuaded that Jesus Christ is Lord, okay, ball's in their court. They can either, as the Bible says, light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light, and they reject Jesus Christ, or a person could say, oh my goodness, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the Most High God. What do I do? Just like in with Peter in Acts chapter 2, just like with Peter, you know, what do we do? And Peter doesn't say, kiss my ring, I am the first pope. He doesn't say that. Roman Catholicism, that's what, what, in Roman Catholicism, you kiss the ring of the Pope, the Vicar of Christ. I don't call him Vicar of Christ, I call him Vicar of Antichrist, the Pope. Now, sometimes I say that in certain circles, and people are like, oh my goodness, how could you say that? Well, study the Scriptures. When you know the Bible, it's like, well, you know, and and not to boast in anything, not that anyone could boast. Remember, the knowledge of the Word of God is a gift, one of many gifts of the Holy Spirit. One of many gifts, not the greatest gift. The greatest gift, gift is love, sacrificial love, as we see exemplified in Brother Paul. Beautifully, because of the Jewish people, he said, I would rather them come to Christ. If it, if it means that they come to Christ and, and I have to be separated from Christ, so be it. I would want that. That's hardcore. And not hardcore in terms of like knowledge, hardcore in terms of love, the greatest gift. To love somebody so much. To love a people so much. That if they came to Christ. if it made, you're anathema from Christ. Separated from Christ. Okay. That's how much I love them. That's how dead Paul was. Remember Paul says it is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. And he didn't go into the synagogue to go and cause a ruckus. And fight with them. And have this disagreement. And then say okay let's go outside. And he's like okay let's go outside. And we're going to go to blows. No. That's carnal. But the the carnal, you know, there are certain impacts, certain aspects of spiritual warfare that come into the carnal. And for the Christian, for you and me, we do not apply carnal weapons to a spiritual fight because when Paul goes into synagogue and his purpose is to uh, uh, proclaim Jesus Christ and teach Jesus Christ and win souls, now, this spiritual battle It enters the realm of the physical in a very carnal sense. And then you see how the saints respond. It's just like, you know, you take a mighty warrior according to the flesh, a strong warrior according to the flesh. And then, it's you know, certain aspects of warfare. But then according to the spirit, there are other aspects of warfare. Which have deeper implications because we're talking about eternal life, eternity. You see, Stephen, Stephen, a mighty warrior of God, but in the flesh, in the carnal sense, it's like he, he took the blows. He took the stones. He was stoned to death. Carnally speaking, like, well, what kind of warrior is this that just, you know, sits there and takes the, takes the stones? You look at Paul, a mighty warrior entering synagogue, fighting the good fight. But then you see another aspect of it. It's like, well, you know, when this uproar happens, it's like, wow, now you see Paul and he's not engaging in that fight because that's carnal. When the, when the, when the carnal is influenced by the spiritual, the spiritual do not respond in a carnal way. And that's what we see in Thessalonica, in other areas. But we see here in verse 2, still in Acts 17. So his custom in verse 2 was to go into the synagogue. But in verse 2 says his custom was, and he went into them. So he goes into the synagogue. And for three Sabbaths, he re- reasoned with them From the scriptures. Now, he's not just reasoning from with them, saying like, well, I, you know, I turn on TV, I turn on TBN, tricking believers nightly, and this guy says this, and so I kind of agree with that, and so you have to listen to what he says. No, it's, he knows the scriptures. He himself has intimacy with Jesus Christ. And he says these things from experience. Remember, a student of Gamaliel, before he came to Christ. He knows the scriptures. He knows Torah. He knows the the prophets, the minor prophets, the major prophets. He knows. And he would reason in the synagogue from the scriptures. It's so powerful because you see Paul, how he's not afraid of the fight. And it's not to deify Paul. It's not to exalt Paul. Remember, he's a dead guy. He says it of himself. He says, you know, Number one, you look at 1 Corinthians 3, he says, I'm trash. You look at, you know, when he says, uh, uh, you know, you, you guys are like kings and, you know, we're the trash. We're the we're the, like the scum of the earth, he says, 1 Corinthians 3. When you listen to our study through 1 Corinthians, you'll understand. But then also know that, you know, Paul says, you know, that uh, 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 when he would uh, write these letters to the churches, he says, you know, pray for us. Pray for me, he would say so that I can teach boldly, so that I can speak boldly. Now you see in the spirit realm, you see that the saints in churches praying for Paul, Christians praying for Paul, and so you see this boldness that he has, like, wow, you know, he's hardcore, he's a warrior. And it's like, well, wait a second, what you don't see are the saints that are, you know, on their faces before the Lord, praying. And the Lord responding to their prayer and using his vessel, Paul. You see? responding to the vessels who are praying you don't you don't necessarily see that you know written down and explained like you know this is what's happening but when you read the scriptures and you read in 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 a context of you know you know what is the the demographics of the church and what is happening in the region and you you correlate it with certain letters you correlate it with the you know everything that's happening in that time frame you see a beautiful picture of a very wonderful and beautiful and mighty and strong and warrior church. Saints, the ecclesia. And see, so he would go and reason from the scriptures, reason in in the synagogue, straight up. Like he would go, like inside. Like, I mean, who do you know who would, on purpose, on purpose, go into? The synagogues where, you know, the religious leaders were, the people who spent their life studying Torah. Who do you know who would go into the synagogue to reason with them? That's hardcore. And so we see here in verse 3, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer, or the Messiah. Remember, when you see Jesus Christ, you know, it's not his first name was Jesus and his last name was Christ. No, Jesus Christ is saying Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah. That's that's Jesus Christ, Jesus, the Messiah. So when we see here in verse three, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ or the Messiah had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So now you see, because when you read the Torah, when you read uh, the prophets and the minor prophets, and we, it just so happens that we touched on this on Wednesday. That the prophecies of, you know, we looked at very few prophecies of the Messiah. There are many prophecies of Messiah. But the Old Testament has passages in reference to the Messiah. And Paul, connecting the dots, is saying, This Jesus, whom I preach, he is the Messiah. You see? And he was very effective. Effective. And you see, Paul himself and his growth and maturity in Christ—how he becomes deadly. He because he's a baby believer. I mean, you know, when you look at his uh, his belief in Jesus Christ, he's a baby believer at that time. But then, in the in the course of time, he himself he grows and matures in Christ, and he gets to a level level of maturity. And then, at a certain point, he turns deadly. And when he turns deadly, and when he convinces jews the religious leaders when he convinces them that jesus is the messiah the deadly all of a sudden the religious leaders they say okay we have to kill him you see we 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 can't refute what he says from the scriptures we can't refute what he says from the torah so let's kill him that was their that was their response and so you see paul became deadly The same way you and me, how we can become deadly. But when you become deadly, in accordance to the flesh, it's going to get ugly. In accordance to the spirit, beautiful. Beautiful in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints, is the death of his saints. That's what the Bible says. Beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. Now, carnally speaking, like, well, how can that be a beautiful thing? But we don't study the scriptures as carnal people because they're spiritually discerned, interpreted by the Spirit, taught by the Holy Spirit. Look what happens here in verse 4. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. I love this. This is so beautiful because you have men and women, not a few of them. So quite a number of people, male and female, Coming to Christ, and they joined Paul and Silas, this little bubble that Paul has in verse five. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. Now it attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Now, this is where the spirit realm enters the physical realm because. Paul doesn't go in there with boxing gloves. He doesn't enter the synagogue with boxing gloves and you know, like a you know, like all kinds of different weapons on on his shoulder, on his back, and you know, a belt with all these weapons and you know, grenades and all. He doesn't enter the synagogue like that. But in a spiritual sense, he is fully equipped, fully armed. But when he goes in as a spiritual warrior, which is non carnal, it's not according to the flesh. He goes in the synagogue. As a warrior. Now, carnally speaking, if you were to see Paul and his little bubble walk into the synagogue, you just think, okay, here's a a guy and a couple people walking in the synagogue. Nothing fancy, nothing ornate, just a couple guys walking in the synagogue. But spiritually speaking, (laughs) this guy, he's a straight up fighter he's a straight up warrior and he's going into synagogue and he is straight up gonna engage and so he does exactly that and he's very effective as a vessel of the lord the lord using him very effective and then all of a sudden spiritually speaking The fight is won in one regard because people turn away from the religious belief system and come to Christ and join in with Paul and Silas in this little bubble. So spiritually speaking, there is victory. But then now we enter the carnal realm because the religious leaders in verse five, the Jews who were not persuaded, they became envious now you see how the spirit, how it impacts the emotions. I mean, we studied that a little bit in, Col- in our study in Colossians. How we're not led by emotions, but don't deny emotions too. We're not led by intellect, but at the same time, you know, the Lord uses certain aspects of human intellect. You know, it's not to deny intellect, deny emotions. It's to dethrone them. Don't be led by intellect and logic. Don't be led by emotions. We walk by faith, not by sight. We're led by the Word of God. And the Spirit of our Lord. But to the ones that don't have that understanding, to the ones that don't have the Holy Spirit... Paul would enter the synagogue, he would say certain things, they were not persuaded. And in that state of not being persuaded, all of a sudden it evokes certain emotions, the little feelers, they start to go to work. And what were their little feelers doing? Well, they became envious. And now in becoming envious, what did they do? They take some of the evil men in verse five, evil men from the marketplace. And then they gathered a mob setting all the city in an uproar. You see how the spirit impacts the physical realm. You see now as Christians, as born again believers, we walk according to the spirit. Everything is spiritual. We walk according to the Spirit and yielding to the Spirit. And the Spirit of the Lord yields, leads to the Word of God. Always. The Spirit of the Lord will never lead a Christian, never lead anybody anybody in, in, in away from the Word of God. The Spirit of the Lord leads into the Word of God, never leads into the law. Remember, listen to our study through Galatians, you'll understand. The spirit of Jesus Christ never leads to the law. I mean, it just so happens we studied, remember the three from Wednesday? It just so happens we studied this, the three on Wednesday. And for my Talmudic friends, for my Talmudic friends who happen to be listening, 9 out of 10, 9 out of 10 to those who have ears, don't forget. We see how the, as Christians, we see how the spiritual fight can easily impact the carnal. But does that mean that we automatically switch gears into a carnal fight? No. You don't see that in the Word of God. You see in the Old Testament, but that's precede. Remember, the law was added because of sin until the seed. You see, it in the Old Testament, pre-Seed. Listen to our study in Galatians. Post-Seed, you do not see that because now we see in verse five how those who don't have the spiritual understanding, all of a sudden, it because you know they're, they their little feelers, the emotions. And they become envious, and in verse five, they take some of the evil men from the marketplace, gather a mob, and set the city in uproar and attack the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, "These who have turned the world upside down have come here too." You see, a home invasion. This is a straight up home invasion. Jason, one of the one of the converts. One of the, I say converts, but a brother who came to Christ. He came to Christ. You see how it it comes into the physical? I mean, when you stand for Christ, and you might know this already, you might feel it already, you might have experienced it already. When you come to Christ, Satan hates you. I mean, Satan has always hated you. He pretends to like you. But when you come to Christ, he really hates you. He wants you dead. But then, when you grow and mature, I mean, he doesn't mind the baby Christian because I mean, look at look at First Corinthians, look at the works of the flesh. But as you grow and mature, and if you become deadly, oh my goodness, I mean, he has a big crosshair on you because he wants to kill you. Does that mean that we engage in a physical fight? You don't see that. You see it Old Testament, but that's pre-seed. You don't see it post-seed. Rules of engagement. Remember our study about warfare? Ephesians 6. Correlating that it just so happened that week that when we studied that, we looked at you know uh, uh, Deuteronomy 20, spiritual warfare. And we see the rules of engagement according to the law, rules of engagement according uh, to... Uh, You know, the rules of engagement according to the Old Covenant and rules of engagement according to the New Covenant. In post-seed, we have a specific, very specific rules of engagement. And it's spiritual. Because you don't see Jason, you know, getting on the phone like, hey guys, you know, know, they're going to come into my house, you know. Come out with your pitchforks and your knives and your hammers and your mallets and come out. You know, we're going to fight. You don't see that. And yet we see here in verse 6, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city saying, these who have turned the world upside down. Remember, they're looking for Paul and Silas. Have come here too. When you stand for Christ, you grow and you mature and then you become deadly the world will be turned upside down. The world will be turned upside down. It's it's how the Lord works. Using you. I mean, in a carnal sense, in a very carnal sense, you read the book of Acts and you see like, oh my goodness, everywhere the disciples go, everywhere, everywhere the apostles go, everywhere the apostles go, it's like, wow, the world is being turned upside down. But you know what's happening is that People are becoming Christians. Remember, there was a great commotion about the way people are becoming Christians. And the world is being turned upside down in one regard. But when you look at it in a different perspective, you say, wow, you know, things are being turned right side up for those individuals who become Christians. That's why Paul says, look, you guys are like kings. First Corinthians 3 says you guys are like kings. We, the workers, remember we make the distinction between field and worker. He says, we're the scum of the earth. We're the trash. Now you hear that. If you're listening for the first time, you hear that. And you're like, what? What is he talking about? But when you make these distinctions between field and worker, you understand that for the worker, I mean, what they what, what, what happened here when the, when it entered the physical realm, This spiritual fight, and they took some of the evil men from the marketplace, the religious leaders, and remember, they were envious. And they take some of the religious leaders, they take some of the evil men of the city for the sake of causing the mob, for the sake of causing the uproar. Using them as their pawns. I mean, not to get political or anything, but that's a very common tactic. Among politicians, local, state, federal, very common tactic to exploit certain segments of society to achieve a certain purpose. The real snatch and grab, but we'll table that for another day. And so, look what happens here. In um, in, in you, you see how there's the uh, uh, this home invasion, the 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 spiritual battle be turned physical. And notice, notice what happens here is is in 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 verse ten. A little side note, not to get off topic, but a little side note. What we see about Berea, because in verse ten, still in Acts seventeen. We see, then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea because it, it, it was dangerous in Thessalonica. Thessalonica, very, very dangerous. I mean, there were the straight up home invasion, a mob being exploited, evil people being exploited specifically for the purpose of, you know, hey, go to those Christians, go to those Christians' homes, pull out whoever's living there. And so the brethren sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. So it's the same, same battle plan, so to speak, how Paul, it was customary for him to enter the synagogue because he wanted to win his countrymen to Christ. And so he says they were more fair-minded of the Bereans in verse 11. They were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks prominent women as well as as well as men. Then we see but when the Jews from Thessalonica you see wow, Thessalonica here it is again when they learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea they came there they came there also and stirred up the crowds so they were being followed Paul being followed. You see? That's one of the tactics of the enemy. Because as you grow, as you mature, don't be surprised when you are followed by opposition. Don't be surprised. Because the enemy wants to kill whatever attempt he wants to attempt To end whatever the Lord is doing in you and through you. Don't be surprised when opposition follows you. See it as a sign. You see? You hear us mention from time to time to be a Berean. Yes, to be a Berean is to search the scriptures. As has happened here in Berea, they were more fair-minded in verse 11, and they searched the scriptures daily. But searching the scriptures, it's not just searching the scriptures. A lot of times people say, oh yeah, I'm a Berean, I search the scriptures. Okay, that's nice. But don't forget, Jesus Christ, our Lord himself, says to the religious leaders, he says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, and because... In them, you think there is eternal life. Do you you see that difference there? You say, well, I'm a Bree and I search the scriptures. Okay, which is good. But is it all? No. Because searching the scriptures is good, but don't forget that Jesus Christ says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures and in them, you think there is eternal life. It's like, well, wait a second. I thought searching the scriptures was good. Absolutely, searching the scriptures is good. Except notice here in Acts 17, verse 11. They received the word with all readiness. You see? They received the word with all readiness. It's not just to search the scriptures for the sake of searching the scriptures. Like the Pharisees. But to search the scriptures, yes, to, to to daily to find out whether these things were so. But then at the same time to search the scriptures and receive the word, because one is head knowledge. Search the scriptures. It's like you know, you know the head. You ever see like people say, "Wow, this guy's so smart. Wow, this gal, she's so smart. He's so smart. And wow, they're so smart." And then you talk to them and you're like, yeah, they have book knowledge, but they're kind of dumb. I mean, look at like university, what's being produced out of universities. I mean, have you ever talked to like a a college-educated millennial or college-educated Generation Z? See, they they got the book smarts. They got the degree. They got the book smarts. But you talk to them and you're like, wow, I'm going to throw this guy. Because they don't have the wisdom. They got the book smarts, but they don't have the, the street smarts. Or they got the book smarts, but they don't have... You know, they don't have the uh, a different kind of smarts, so to speak. And for us as Christians, it's the smarts that say, receive the word with readiness. It's not just to search the scriptures so that we can be textbook smarts. But search the scriptures and receive the word in all readiness. It's very important. Now you see how this spiritual battle that we are in and, you know, surprise, you know, if you think you're not in it, surprise, you're in it. You while You believe in Jesus Christ, you're in it. Now, there are varying levels of spiritual warfare. But then at the same time, also remember that in these varying levels of spiritual warfare, how it can easily enter and very often enter and in the last days will Not just likely enter, it absolutely, absolutely will enter the physical realm. What does that mean? Does that mean that we also engage in the physical? No. That's rules of engagement, Old Covenant. Rules of engagement, New Covenant? It's different. It's not the same. In order to make the distinction, in order to... Make not just the distinction, but in order to align oneself to the specific rules of the new covenant, it requires discipline. I mean, the according to the flesh, the best warriors that I have ever encountered, the best mightiest warriors I've ever encountered, according to the flesh, very highly disciplined. The they're one and the same. You see mighty warrior, you also see discipline. You see discipline, you also see mighty warrior. Because it's the discipline that insists that the warrior responds and acts accordingly. So you see, Thessalonica, a very young church, but the battle for them was almost instantaneous. The battle for the new believers in Thessalonica. I mean, imagine Paul coming into town, a little bubble. Silas, Timothy, Dr. Luke. And this little bubble, they go into synagogue. And for three Sabbaths, he persuades people to Christ. He wins brothers and sisters to Christ. Jew and Greek. And in that, in that, time period envy is setting in the non-believers the ones who were not persuaded envy it gets to the point for three sabbaths it gets to the point where they say okay now we're envious you know and we're going to take these rebel rousers of our community and we're going to exploit them and use them for our purpose what's their purpose catch Paul and Silas, and if you can't find them, you know, bust into the homes, home invasion, Jason's house. House. I said house. <laughs> I'm not from Minnesota. <laughs> you see how powerful this is? It's hardcore. And so we see that A very young church. I mean, what if Jason became a believer that day? What if Jason became a believer, you know, two weeks prior and all of a sudden his home is being busted into? What if Jason became a believer that that first time? So he's been a a Christian for three weeks and all of a sudden his his house is getting busted into? Very real. These are things that we're going to experience in the last days. The saints of the Most High will experience in the last days. People coming to Christ. Boom, same day, within a week. Boom, same day, or boom, within a week. Boom, within two weeks. Boom, within three weeks. Home invasion. Where did you hear this message? Gestapo-like tactics. The brown shirts. It's prophesied. Thessalonica was like a now that that's kind of like the 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 uh, uh the blueprints of the spiritual battle which delves into the carnal battle and you know we have rules of engagement as Christians of how to respond that's kind of what, what like a little overlay of what's happening in Thessalonica but what is Thessalonica well it's a commercial hub of Rome just like Corinth but it's a commercial hub of Rome now rome took over certain i mean when they would have their campaigns and battle and war when they were getting large and large and in charge so to speak now they took over and they took over certain regions certain towns and expanded their their borders and in so doing they maintained trade routes i mean to give you an example if say you're just a boss in business like you're just straight up like gangbusters and you take over another business. It's not a merger and acquisition, it's a straight up acquisition. And you take over another business. Now, you take over another business, and when you take over another business, you're not going to, you know, cut off their supply lines, cut off their connections, cut off this. No, you're going to keep the staff there. I mean, depending on, you know, you're probably going to keep the staff, but the executives, you're probably going to change them, change a couple. The staff, you know, everything's going to function. And, you know, you take you take over, you're, you're the new owner of the business. You don't take over the business to destroy the bottom line. You take over the business, the previous owner sold it, and you make it better. And how do you make it better? Well, it depends, you know, the certain different factors. But the business is taken over and, you know, usually the, the same connections are made, you know, supply, who supplies this and who's the distributor for this. Usually those are still maintained. And then the business grows from there. But the same thing happens with, with, with kings. The same thing happens with, with, with countries and nations and peoples. The same thing happens with Rome. They took over Thessalonica and they maintain, they maintain these trade routes strategically, you know, a a very strategically located populace. I mean, when you look at from a topographical sense, you see like the mountains and the waterways. It's like, okay, you know, Thessalonica is like a perfect location for, you know, to receive shipments and to go into the lands and, you know, for shipments to be, you know, brought into certain regions. It's a very strategic location, but it was a commercial hub geographically, geopolitically, topographically, very advantageous region. But this also presents other problems. A land of opportunity, so to speak. This is something that Demas succumbed to. Remember, we just referenced that last week when we closed uh, Colossians. You see how Demas was with Paul. But Demas, when you get to, the, turn it to me really quick to Second Thessalonians. Or, or 2 Timothy, sorry. And in 2 Timothy, you see in verse chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. This is Paul. Demas, who was in Colossae, Colossi, Study through Colossians last week and you know, we closed up the book of Colossians. Damas was with Paul. And then you see, in verse 10, 2 Timothy 4, Damas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. You see, the glitz, the glamour of Thessalonica, bright lights, big city, a commercial hub, the land of opportunity. This is, A seduction of Thessalonica that Demas succumbed to. Turn with me really quick to Luke chapter 8. Something we reference quite a bit. And we're going to keep referencing Luke 8. And we see in Luke 8, verse 14. I mean, in verse 13, you see like, you know, the short-term believer in there in time of temptation fall away. But then in verse 14, it's almost like a, you know, how does one fall away? In verse 14, now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit To maturity. There's always going to be a threat to us as believers. Always, 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 always there's going to be a threat to your walk with the Lord. There will always be a threat to your growth and maturity in the Lord. Always. 100% of the time. And these threats present major issues for babies. Major issues to a lesser degree for adolescents. Adolescents. Major issues to an even lesser degree for the mature. And it presents issues to the deadly. Remember, we make these distinctions. If you're listening for the first time, you're like, what is he talking about? This is our study through, well, I mean, Acts all the way up to where we're at now. But, you know, we studied this last week and we closed out the book of Colossians. Kind of different Growth levels, maturity levels of the Christian. And for the deadly Christian, yes, there's always going to be a threat. There's a th- threats to everybody, all of us as Christians. But for the deadly, you're equipped. You know how to fight. You don't have a shiny uh, a shield. Your shield is dented and worn, and it's very effective. It's just got some dents because you've taken some hits. You've blocked some hits. You got, you know, a breastplate that's not like chrome. It's not shiny. It's been worn. It's been used, and you got some dents in it. You got a helmet that's not chrome. You got a helmet that's been worn. You got a helmet that's got some dents in it because, you know, you took some blows. And that's what happens to the deadly warriors. You engage. You're going to take blows. But does that mean we give up the fight? No. This is something that Demas didn't understand. This seduction. Oh, look. You're with Paul in Paul's bubble. And look, you got to sleep on the grass tonight. Look, no food tonight. look at the land of opportunity in Thessalonica. Bright lights, big city, this could be yours. Seduction. It's very important to be fully aware of these threats. Yes, there's threats like, you know, temptation, the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll and, you know, not to nullify those, not to discredit those. I mean, those are very valid threats upon any, any of us. But then there's also another kind of seduction of the world. Being pulled away. Oh, look, this opportunity over here. Opportunity over there. And Paul giving a report. You know? Only Luke is with me, he says. Dr. Luke. Just the doctor. You see, only Luke is with me. Demas. He left. He went to Thessalonica. It's very important. I understand that, you know, we have jobs and we gotta, you know, we have to buy groceries. We have to buy food and, you know, pay rent and pay mortgage and pay utilities. And we have to do all this stuff. I get it. We're in this world. We're not of the world, but we're, we, have, we, we live in this world. We got to make a living. You got to pay for gas. Gotta, I get that. But always be cautious of money because the love of money is the root of all evil. A lot of Christians give warning about money. And the warning is correct. There is an inherent danger behind money, a threat. Money can be used for godly things. Money can be used, I mean, you you, you turn on the lights, you got to pay for electricity. Money is used for that. But the love of money is a little different. A lot different in some cases, and you see the fruit of that too. But a lot of times when Christians warn about money, when Christians warn about money, the warning itself is correct. But the vast majority warn from the perspective of I cannot attain it. They warn about money, but yet from their perspective, it is I cannot attain it. And it's just a front. Because they'll warn about money and they'll still go gambling. They'll warn about money and still go to the casino. They'll warn about money and still hang, you know, cash on a tree. And I'm seeing that in Christian homes. You go into Christian homes and you see like $5 bills, $10 bills. It's like, like hanging on a plant. You're like, what? What is this? And they warn about money. And the warning, yes, it's, it's valid. But in many cases, it's a front where the warning is correct, but they're hypocritical, which places them in the wrong. So the warning is correct, but from them, it's wrong because look at the heart. Oh, be careful about money. Be careful about money, but I'm going to go to the casino. Oh, be careful about money, but I'm going to hang these, you know, $100 bill on a tree. Name it and claim it. So the love of money is evil. And people warn about money. There's a seduction of Thessalonica even in these last days. A seduction of Thessalonica. But understand, just like there's a seduction of Corinth. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. For very few people, riches, money, it's a piece of cake. For very few people. Pulling profit is no big deal. I mean, in some cases, it's almost criminal. Phone call for a 10-minute phone call, a guy makes $10,000. For very few people, riches are a piece of cake. But their perspective is different because riches are easily attainable for them. But what's different about them, when they warn about money, they don't want it. You see, one person you yeah, have two people and they both warn about money. Oh, be careful with money, be careful with money. They both say exactly the same thing. Except the heart of one who goes to casinos and buys the lottery tickets and you know puts money on a drains money like literal cash on a on, on a on, on a branch. And, you know, several branches, you know, all these dollar bills hanging on a tree. Just like you see, like, you know, berries on a on a plant. You know, you see, like, you know, money, cash hanging on a tree, like taped onto a tree on the leaves. Like, what is this? Oh, by faith, you know, I'm just going to name it and claim it. But then there's another person. Where riches are very easily attainable. And in an honest way, not like easily attainable because he sells crack. Easily attainable because, you know, some kind of nefarious, you know, dirty money. No, easily attainable and everything is on the up and up. And yet these people who say like, you know, be careful of money and, you know, I don't want it. Remember Paul? Paul in the centurion... The centurion was kind of marveling at Paul, like Paul. You're like I, the centurion says to Paul, "It's like I'm I'm Roman because because I, I paid a fortune for it. I paid a lot of money for my citizenship of Rome. And you know, look at you. You just you you are in these robes, and you know you are. You, you know you don't even look like a rich guy. I I paid a lot of money to be a Roman citizen. That's what the centurion was saying to Paul." I paid a lot of money for this. And Paul says, I was born a Roman. (laughs) You see that perspective? You don't see Paul writing to letters, oh yeah, I'm Roman. You don't see Paul writing to the, you know, exhorting the Macedonian saints, oh yeah, I'm Roman. You don't see Paul writing to Galatians, oh yeah, I'm Roman. But to the centurion, Paul says, he revealed to the centurion, I'm Roman by birth. Which puts things in a completely different perspective. Because certain things afforded to Paul as a Roman citizen that were not attainable for just anybody. Certain things that were in the hand, within the grasp of Paul. Where it would be easy for him to be in the world. It would be easy for him to... These things of the flesh, namely money, easily attainable for him. Except he denied it. He didn't want it. I mean... It's a piece of cake to walk away from 5 bucks. I mean, depending, you know, I teach from America, you know, depending on where you live, I mean, it might not be. But track with me for a moment. It's a piece of cake to walk away from 5 bucks. It's much more difficult to walk away from 50. In some cases, a little bit more. And it's more difficult to walk away from 500. To walk away from 5,000? What about walking away from 50,000? What about walking away from 500,000? I mean... That's when the centurion is like, like, look, here you are. You're in shackles, and you say you're Roman, and but you know, like, I, I paid a fortune. How is it that you're Roman? I paid a lot of money. I had to save money for years. I mean, Roman citizen, you know. Uh, there are no civilizations in today's age that match to the rights afforded to Roman citizen there i mean Roman citizens, if you're a Roman citizen, I mean like not today but back in the day it was hardcore, the very very pleasurable lifestyle, according to the flesh as a Roman citizen, rights afforded to Roman citizens. And certain benefits afforded to Roman citizens, not just to anybody. And the centurion. Centurion's not on the low end of the totem pole. The centurion is the centurion, you know, high end command. Picture like, you know, if military, if you're, you know, military experience, picture like a colonel. Not like, you know, butter bars, no, picture like a colonel. A full bird colonel saying, "You know, I paid a lot, for a colonel to say like I paid a lot of money to be a Roman citizen." Talking to disheveled Paul, torn robe. Who knows what he looked like? You know, probably a f- fresh beatdown, torn clothes. Maybe it's been a while since he bathed. And the centurion colonel, so to speak. How is it that you're you claim to be a Roman? I paid a lot of money. Go, How? And Paul says, um I was born Roman. He didn't boast in that to any to, to, to the, the, the churches? He didn't say, hello, Galatians, you know, blessings in Jesus. Oh, by the way, I'm Roman. Hello, Corinthians, blessings in Jesus. Oh, by the way, I'm Roman. And yet, look at his walk. Telling the saints of Corinth, you guys are like the kings. You guys live, you know, you... You're the kings. We, this bubble, we're the trash. We're the scum of the earth. See, somebody could come to you who could say, oh, yeah, be careful with money. Don't love money, but meanwhile, I'm going to go to the casino. Don't love money, but meanwhile, I'm going to, you know, do this dirty business online to get free money. I'm going to sell my body online, get this free money, you know, easy money. Don't love money. Meanwhile, I'm going to sell my crack on the corner, get my easy money. Don't love money. But meanwhile, I'm going to go buy my stra- scratch at the at the at the store and, you know, buy like a hundred dollars worth of lottery tickets and hopefully I'll win the lottery. But you you don't love money. But Paul says, hey, be careful with money. It's a little different. One guy says, be careful with money. Paul says, be careful with money. It's like, it's a little different coming from Paul. Why? Not just look at his walk, but look at what he's denied. Now, not to deify Paul. Remember, he's just a dead guy. No disrespect to Paul. <laughs> but it's the Lord in Paul. You see, Paul's just a dead guy. He says, It is no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And so when he warns about Thessalonica, you know, be careful about the glitz and glamour of Thessalonica, it's a little different because he's denied the glitz and glamour as a Roman citizen. This is something that Demas forgot. Something that Damas succumbed to this seduction of Thessalonica. You see? And that's where the Thessalonians. That's that's their landscape. You got a home invade, you got the, the, the violence of becoming being a Christian. Like, boom, right right, smack in your face. Not like five years down the road, not ten years down the road. I mean, in the case of Jason, maybe he became a believer that very same day. You know, maybe he became a believer three Sabbaths prior, the very day that Paul and Silas, Silas and his little bubble, when they entered town, they went in the synagogue. Maybe they became a Christian then, but then within three weeks, straight up home invasion. What's his crime? Believing in Jesus Christ. You see, there's that threat, but that's not the only threat. There's the threat of the glitz and glam. The land of opportunity. You say, oh, yeah, I don't have a problem with money. I'll I'll walk away from five bucks. No big deal. Oh, yeah. Walk away from 500 bucks. No big deal. Walking away from 5,000, it's a different ballgame. Walking away from 50,000? 500,000? 5 million? Who does that? So we look at Acts 17, and that happened around 49 A.D., First Thessalonians was written around 51 AD. Second Thessalonians was written around 52 AD, one year later. So you see this time, three to four years. I mean, it's four years, but I mean, three to four years, depending on, like, if you you count, like, you know, like, December to, uh, December, you know. (laughs) So, like, December to December, it's like a year, or December to, like, the following year, say January, on a calendar, it's two years, but like, you know, it's like, well, it's just a little bit over a year, like a year and one month. But a very similar time frame to Corinth and their three years of arrested development, the Kush life in Corinth. That's why we refer to this as the great do-over. And I love it. The great do-over. You take the the beginning of the church in Corinth. Okay, what happens for three years? You know, defunct teachers, defunct pastors, defunct elders, and you see the fruit of it in the church. Ugly fruit, bad fruit. You look at Acts 17, it's like, whoa, okay, like, whoa, this home, like you, know, like, you know, right out the bat, you become a believer? Okay, boom, home invasion. Boom, right out the bat. Right out, the, right out the gate, the cost of being a Christian was like boom, immediate. A couple years later, Paul writes a letter. A couple years later, Paul writes a second letter. Almost like Corinth, we see the great do-over. You see. The great duo over compared to Corinth. So we start here. Open up your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we see here in verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Now, we've already studied Paul and Timothy. A beautiful duo. I love it so much. Timothy is Paul's wingman, so to speak. Paul has Timothy under his wing, but there's also other people in this little bubble. Sylvanus is one of them. Sylvanus is in Paul's bubble in, 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 in this particular time period when, when Paul is writing 1 Thessalonians 1, and he later, later joins Peter's bubble, and he's likely a scribe of both. I say likely, a very, very, very likely a scribe of both because in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, Brother Peter says, by Sylvanus, I have written. And so what's so powerful, remember Peter? Peter's not a learned man. He's not like, you know, uh, Oxford graduate. He's a fisherman. Fishermen in those days were just like, you know, low end of the social totem pole, so to speak. I'm just, you know, I I say that, you know, uh, in common jargon. I'm not advocating totem poles, you know. I'm just saying, you know, he's on the low end of the totem pole. From a, just, speaking naturally, speaking frankly. Sylvanus had the, so Peter wasn't learned. Sylvanus couldn't read and write. And he served the Lord as a scribe. And I love this. You know why? You see the humility of beautiful, beautiful Silvanus. I mean, picture, if you will, a a Harvard graduate submitting himself to a janitor. A doctorate from Oxford, doctorate in English in, you know, Oxford University. And submitting himself to the janitor. Not not to you know not to say anything bad about you know the, the janitorial arts but let's put things in perspective you see how beautiful this humility is of Sylvanus? Not a lot is written of him. Just a little bit here, a little bit there. But the little bit there, oh my goodness, how beautiful it is, just in thought alone. Like wow, here you have this learned guy who is submitting himself to a fisherman the doldrum of society so to speak the religious leaders certainly thought so but they realized later that peter had walked with jesus and peter was schooling the religious leaders on the things that they should have known you know how, how is it that this fisherman who is he he didn't go to university he didn't go to this school who is he to, 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 he how does he know the torah how does he know this And then they perceived, they remembered that he was with Jesus, he walked with Jesus. You see the humility of Sylvanus in saying, Yes, you know, I'm gonna serve the Lord, and how I serve the Lord is I'll be your scribe. I don't know, I I doubt that Peter could read or write, and if he could, he could probably he could probably read very little, maybe write very little. And so he would speak and Sylvanus would write it down on parchment. Very beautiful. And you see how in this bubble of Paul you have Sylvanus, and Sylvanus, you know, goes into Peter's bubble. And all in service unto the Lord. In verse 1, he says to the church, the Ecclesia. It's as an church ecclesia in the Greek. It translates as an assembly of the called. An assembly of the called. Puts things in perspective when you see the word church just thrown around willy-nilly today. Oh, yeah, we go to church. Oh, yeah, I go to church. We have a little 10-minute sermon. Then we talk about politics. Oh, we have a 10-minute sermon, then we go play basketball. We have a 10-minute sermon, then we go play checkers. You know, 10-minute sermon, and then we go do the ladies' sewing, whatever the, I don't know. You know, I'm a guy, so I don't know, whatever the ladies do. Not a social club. Ecclesia is the assembly of those who are called. See? A little deeper. A little deeper than the, the carnal eye. To the church, to the ecclesia of the Thessalonians. Remember, this is, this is around 51 AD and just two years prior was the home invasion. And the uproar in Thessalonica the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this, remember also in Colossians, now, these are, you know, we're, we're kind of far removed from First Corinthians. If you've been walking with us for a while, we're kind of far removed from First Corinthians. And so we're going to reference these certain passages like, you know, the the, the Church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, remember, the treasures of knowledge and wisdom are hidden in the Father and the Son. That's from our study in Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, where we have this exhortation of the danger of praying to the pneumos. A lot of Christians, you know, oh, the Holy Spirit, and they cry out to the Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit. Never pray to the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father. We pray to Jesus Christ. Because what happens? You open yourself up to the pneumos. You open yourself up to the pneumos. Most saints today are unequipped to understand and unequipped to engage in that type of fight when a person opens themselves up to the pneumos in praying to the Holy Spirit. It's not too... It's not to speak negatively about the Holy Spirit, because remember, the Lord says, you know, not not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. That I mean, he says not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit. And it's like, whoa. I mean, that put things that that puts things in major, major, major perspective, because it's like, I mean, God is almighty and he has done and does and will do a lot of mighty things. And he says, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. It's like, whoa, okay. It's not to discredit the Holy Spirit. But don't pray to the Pneumos. Don't pray to the Spirit. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, or you pray to Jesus Christ. Me personally, and we reference this too. You know, when we mentioned this when we were in Colossians, but me personally, when I pray, I pray to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. Sometimes I'll pray to Jesus Christ. Most of the time, the majority of my prayers are praying to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. Never to the Holy Spirit. You see that a lot, Christians today, oh, Holy Spirit, you know, Guide me, Holy Spirit. Satan presents himself as an angel of light. People pray to the Pneumos and they get into all kinds of different troubles. But understand that in accordance to the word of God, Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3, that we see that knowledge and wisdom are not found in the Numos, are not found in the Holy Spirit, are found in the Father and the Son. You see? We don't pray to the Spirit, we pray in the Spirit. It's very important to understand, even, even more so in these last days. And you're starting to see this more and more, people praying to the Numos, people praying to the Spirit. They open themselves up to the Spirit realm. Like, it's beautiful to be open to the spirit realm. Very beautiful to be open to the spirit realm. But it is very, very, very dangerous because that's when you get into, I mean, angels are in the spirit realm and also demons are in the spirit realm. And it's not like, you know, it's not like the cartoons where you see like, you know, pitchforks and, you know, the horns and, No, Satan presents himself as an angel of light. He says here, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Father and Son. You see, it's not to discredit the Holy Spirit. Try the nature of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Remember, he's the one who says, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit. There's power in the Lord. He is the Almighty. And by His Spirit, you know, in in the beginning was the Word, the Word was was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, remember? And we understand the Scriptures as Bereans. And not just searching the Scriptures, but searching the Scriptures, yes, and understanding the Scriptures, yes. Yes. But then with all readiness, receiving the word. It's not just to search the scriptures, no head knowledge. It's in the heart, it's in the mind, renewing of the mind. You see, a lot of people, Christians, don't reach that point of renewal of the mind Because a lot of Christian minds are, you know, not on the heavenly things. They're on the worldly things. They're on the carnal things. In some cases, the wicked things. And I hate to say it. It pains me to say it, but proof is in the pudding. Look at what we see. And Paul says here in verse 2, We give thanks to God always for you all. Always. This is pantote. Remember we studied that a couple weeks ago? Pantote in the Greek. It is at all times. We give thanks to God always at all times for you all. Making mention of you in our prayers or making recollection and remembrance of you in our prayers. Now, in some letters that Paul writes, Paul will never see these saints again in the flesh. Remember, certain letters are written from prison. His prison letters. And in very short order, he will be beheaded. His crime? Being a Christian. Believing in Jesus Christ. And yet we see Paul making mention of the saints in Thessalonica. Not just these saints, but saints everywhere. Always. Pantote at all times. And these are saints that a majority of saints Paul won't see again. And yet he prays for them without ceasing. Always making mention in recollection of the saints and remembrance of the saints. Now, remember this for the last days because as we get further in the events or to the events as specified in Scripture, the events of the last days, there's going to be a great separation, the isolation of saints. It's one of the evil tactics of our adversary. Isolate. Isolate because Satan doesn't want ecclesia an assembly of the called I mean if you had to if if you if you had to fight somebody one on one is a lot easier than one on you know fifty and so Satan is isolating saints never forget this. Because just as there was the great do-over of, you know, Corinth and, you know, we juxtapose the, that time period in Corinth of the arrested development to Thessalonians and see how, you know, the, the, the fight was like immediate for them. The home invasion, you know, they become a believer, you know, Jason becomes a believer and then boom, Jason's home invasion, home invasion. And we juxtapose that time frame. He's like, wow, this is like a do-over. You know, the for Corinthian saints, it's like, okay, wow, you know, three years arrested development, not good. You know, Chloe's or uh Chloe's awesome, those in her household are awesome, but in, in in Corinth, you have you know the baby Christians, and okay, baby Christians are beautiful, but man, they're still babies. Come on, let's let's get off milk. You see the defunct pastors, defunct elders. And Corinth had its share of issues. Now we have the great do-over in Thessalonica. But in the last days, there's another great do-over because now as saints are being isolated to remember these things and know these things and study the scriptures and search the scriptures with a noble and pure heart with all readiness and pray for the saints. Even saints... You may never see again, even saints you've never seen. I know that in in the persecuted church, saints that, according to the flesh, I long to be with, I long to embrace. And if that's you, I long to embrace you. But I embrace you in spirit. And one day I will embrace you, but not in the flesh. The last day it's saint. We got to get very comfortable with certain realities as specified according to the blue, blueprints that we have in the word of God. And so we see here in verse three, remembering without ceasing, without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love and patience of hope. This is patience of hope. It's so beautiful because it's cheerful endurance of hope. But it, it's also the anticipation and expectation and confidence. And it's in our Lord, he says. It's not in politics, it's not in drugs, it's not in alcohol, it's not in sex, it's not in the, the casino, it's not in anything of the flesh, anything of the world. It is in the Lord. And as we look at the the home invasion in Thessalonica, you see the cost of being a Christian is heavy. But then at the same time, don't forget that also at this time period, 51 AD, it's eventually going to, it's not as heavy as like the 60s, I meant 60 AD, but it's going in that direction of being heavier, a heavier cost to be a Christian. Instead of the thumb of Rome, it's the thumb of the religious leaders. And yet, the saints having the patience of hope, the cheerful endurance of hope, anticipation, expectation, and confidence, not in politics, not in a political leader, not in drugs, not in alcohol, not at the casinos, not in the glitz and glam of Thessalonica, but only in the Lord. He says, In patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Now, this in the sight of our God and Father, it's in front of and in the presence of our Father. It's it's like like of our Father. Like he sees. The Lord sees. There's a shift that I'm noticing in terms of counseling or when a christian needs help in certain areas where before a christian would approach and say hey i need help in this area i need help with this i need help with that and you know that's fine okay you know what's the problem you know and you know what's what's happening and it's okay you know this is happening this is happening okay this is what we do in accordance to the blueprints to honor the lord this is what needs to happen but there's something different that i'm noticing a Christian says, I, "I need help in this area. I need help in this. Okay, what's the problem?" And I'm seeing a lot of this. And they tell me, "My faith, my faith. You know, what's the problem?" You know, before it'd be like, "What's the problem?" Oh, you know, like you know, uh, sex, drugs, alcohol, you know, casino. It's, it's the works of the flesh. You know, what's the problem? Okay, it's this. That and this and you know uh, marital problems, oh my wife, oh my husband, all my kids, all my parents, all my grand. Okay, the Bible gives us blueprints for you know how we deal with certain things. Some someone comes to me today. Can you help me out with this? Sure, no problem. What's up? My faith is fading. A little different. This is where prophecy... A lot of time, you know, in previous generations, even five years ago, ten years ago, people would study prophecy and it would almost be like... um, Almost be like... um, fanfare you know it almost be like you know like i mean people write they make the movies they write the books you know they got these you know big hollywood productions about last days and all this stuff but it's just serious business it's not to have new york times bestseller it's not to have like you know sell all these movie tickets it's not to be number one in the box office Some people have made a lot of money, a lot of money off a pre-tribulation rapture theory, which is unbiblical. A lot of Bible teachers and pastors, so-called, say that studying prophecy is irrelevant for the Christian today. But today somebody comes to me. I need help. What's the problem, brother? What's the problem, sister? And you know, like you know, a year ago you expect that, you know, you know well, you know, sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. But now it's it feels like my faith is going away. But when you're understanding, or understanding prophecies. And understand the signs of the times. Prophetically speaking, it breaks my heart to say this. But prophetically speaking, lamps will go out. Christians, saints will run out of oil for their lamps. In conjunction with this, he who now restrains will be lifted up, lifted away. And Jesus Christ even says that no flesh would be saved, even the elect, unless the days be shortened. And I'm starting to see the rise of the, you know, like, hey, you know, brother, can I talk to you? Sure, what's the problem? And more and more, it feels like my faith is dying. Then you have false teachers. Rick Warren, Saddleback, big church, mega church. Quote, according to him, quote, anyone who lets himself be distracted from Bible prophecy is not fit for the kingdom of God. Distracted from Bible prophecy? He's crazy. He is straight up crazy. And if Rick Warren, pastor, so-called pastor of Saddleback Church, if he doesn't repent and receive the biblical Jesus and turn from his wicked ways and his wicked teaching, Rick Warren will burn in hell. And he says anyone who is distracted from prophecy is not fit for the kingdom of God. And brothers and sisters in Christ who were seeing this rise of, it's like, it's, it's like counseling, but it's deeper. It's not like counseling, like, oh, you know, my brother is crazy. Oh, my wife is crazy. Oh, my husband's crazy. My kids are crackheads. No. I mean, you, you see that too, but I meant like you, the, the rise and the increase of, it feels like my faith is going away. when you understand the prophecies that lamps will go out, he who now restrains will be lifted. Unless the days be shortened, no flesh will be saved. Love will wax cold. The heart of man will not just fade, but fail. And then saints go to, pastor, air quotes, they go to Pastor Rick Warren, hey, Rick Warren, I feel like my, my faith is fading. Then it turns into psychology. It turns into a therapy session. Oh, but this other guy says that it's a sign of the times. Oh, he's not fit for the kingdom of God because he's distracted from Bible prophecy. He's a fool. Straight up, he's a fool. A wicked man with his wicked teaching. I can name more. This is serious business. It it isn't about New York Times bestsellers. Those are hirelings. This is about life and death and not according to the flesh. I'm talking about life to come or death to come. This is straight up second death or one death. Or death with no sting. Balls in your court. You choose. See, Rick Warren. Oh, not you know anybody who, who who studies who's distracted by Bible prophecy is not fit for the kingdom of God. He serves his father, the devil. How could you say such a thing? Be a Berean. Search the scriptures in readiness of heart, readiness of mind with a noble and just heart. Search the scriptures. And when you do, you know what'll happen? If the formula is right and you search the scriptures with that kind of heart you will see. The Bible says seek and you will find. Not seek and you might find. Not seek and you know you will never find. No, seek and you will find. But the formula has got to be right to the seeker with readiness, a noble and just heart. And when you seek in that manner, you will find. And when you find, you'll realize, oh my goodness, this guy who I thought was crazy, Rick Warren is a straight up wolf. You see? The grave soakers, they're crazy. The Mark of the Beast people, they're crazy. Study Bible and he says you can take the mark of the beast still be saved? That is false doctrine. But the formula has to be right in your heart. This is straight up life and death stuff. Heaven and hell stuff. And not not to cheapen it by saying stuff. This is a big deal. But balls in your court. And so we see this this patience of hope in verse three, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God, our in the sight of our our God and Father. It's in the presence of our Father, and that's what's so beautiful about intimacy unto Him and intimacy with Him. Because the Bible says, "Seek and you will find," and when you do find. <laughs> You look forward to dying i mean you go to the doctor's office and they say oh we found this thing and you know you got three months to live and you know it, it, he'll like pass over like the, the, the tissue box and you'll be like oh no need doctor you got a big smile on your face you gallop out of there you do your you know skips skip my do my darling after the parking lot and you're like wow well, you know in three months three months left to go We see this in verse 4, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. This election by God, it translates in the Greek as ekloge, ekloge, it's divine selection and choosing. I have something to say to my Calvinist friends and Reformed theory friends. Calvinism and the Reformed theology, they call it theology, but it's just a theory. This election by God, ekloge, it's divine selection and choosing. It's a derivative of eklegomai, which is to choose out of or choose out. And a lot of times among the reformers, the reformers in accordance to reform theology and Calvinism. They always declare John chapter 15 verse 16. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And they just end it there. Look, the Bible says, you didn't choose me, I chose you, therefore I'm of the chose, I'm of the elect. Okay? But don't forget the myriad of, it is also written. Because it is also written in John 6 verse 70, I chose you and one of you is a devil. One, is, one of you is a devil. This presents even more questions. But Jesus says you didn't choose me and I chose you, eklegomai. And he uses the same word, eklegomai, in reference to who he chose, which is a devil. Then you read Acts 1, you see that Judas by transgression fell. Having long conversations with Calvinists, Oh, this happened so that scripture might be fulfilled. Rightfully cited, John 13. Rightfully cited. But this also begs another question. What scripture, Calvinist? What scripture, Reformed theory? What scripture do you want fulfilled in you? Choose. Balls in your court. Jesus says, blesses are you if you obey. My sheep know my voice. My sheep hear my voice. Those are his words. I'm just the messenger. We have to understand. Because what's happening today in accordance with Calvinism and Reformed theology, which is a theory, which is the doctrine of once saved, always saved, which is unbiblical. The doctrine of once saved, always saved. I mean, you know, Luke 8, 13, we see short term. Jesus Christ even says, who believe for a while. They believe for a while. That alone says, okay, they believe for what, five months, five years? A person is a believer and then they're they're, they're no longer a believer. Understand that names can go in the book of life. Names can come out of the book of life. Once saved, always saved is not biblical. It's a sound theory according to Calvinism. It's a sound theory according to Reformed theology. But does it match the scripture? The answer is no. No. And we're at the point in these last days for such a time as this. The reformed theory people, the pastors, the people who have their study Bible, you know the uh, 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 study Bibles, they're starting to teach as a result of their theory of election, in accordance election, at accordance to their theory, and once saved, always saved, in accordance to their theory. That they're starting to teach, and it's growing, that Christians can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. Rubbish. Straight up rubbish. And that's what's so powerful about the Word of God. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to have a a doctorate in theology. You just read the word of God. But the heart has to remember. The formula has got to be right in your heart. Because the Bible says seek and you will find. But the seeker's heart. It's got to be noble. It's not to seek to. You know I don't believe. And I'm just going to read this. Because I'm in you know literature class. And I'm in this. I took this elective. And I'm going to read the Bible as literature. This and that. No that's not the formula. That's not a noble heart. You seek the Lord. And you will find the Lord. That's His promise. The formula's got to be right. Yes, there is election by God. But in accordance to Scripture, the Word of God, Genesis, Revelation, and the real Jesus, not the fake Jesus, that the real Jesus warns about, There are many Christ. Remember, the disciples asked Jesus Christ, what are the sign of the last days, the sign of your coming? And he says, false prophets, false teachers, false Christs, many Christs. But there's only one real Christ, real Jesus. And the real Jesus, yes, in accordance to his word, yes, there is election by God. But does it align with John Calvin's election? No. Does it align with the reformed theology election? No. Straight up. Now, if you're listening for the first time, listen to our study. If you're Calvinist reformed, listen to our study. The first one is called Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast. The second or like second set is uh, uh uh Romans 7 8 9 10 11. That's kind of like a A good diving board to stand on before you jump away from (laughs) Reformed theology and Calvinism. And I don't say jump away like, you know, jump in the ocean and you're going to drown. I mean, jump away like jump ship and come aboard. Come aboard. This door of grace, it is closing. And the church is asleep. But it is prophesied that the church will be asleep in the last days. Rick Warren, oh, don't be distracted by that. Anybody who says such is not, did not fit for the kingdom of God. No. He is the one who will not enter the kingdom of God without repenting in the real Jesus, repenting of his wickedness. But his present state as a wolf, he will burn in hell. Straight up? I, I just call it like I see it. He says in verse 5, for our gospel, now, <laughs> he, when he says for our gospel, now we know that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. In one sense, you'd be like, wow, well, the audacity of Paul. How dare he say our gospel? We know that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says our gospel. In a carnal sense, you'd be like, well, how, the audacity of this guy to even say such a thing. But understand that even then, false teachers, false gospels, false spirits. Remember 2 Corinthians or study through 2 Corinthians? When you study art, you know, you hear me say, you know, if you're listening the first time, make sure you listen to these prior studies because it will help you. Now, if you do that, you'll hear us reference these things and you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. But if you don't do that, you'll hear us reference these things and you're like, what? Well, this guy's crazy. You see? <laughs> So, in one sense, in a carnal sense, the audacity of Paul to say our gospel. Who is he? Who is he to claim ownership of that gospel? Number one, he's a dead guy. He says of himself, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So if Christ lives in him and he says our gospel, you see, now things start to fall into perspective. Knowing that the warning that Paul gives to the Corinthian saints in 2 Corinthians, that the pseudadelphos, the servants of Satan, servants of Satan who present themselves as ministers of righteousness, they're going to come and present other gospels. A different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit. That's what they'll present. And he says, I fear for you, Corinthians, because you might well put up with it. And yet Paul says, I'm talking about our gospel. And it's not that Paul, I mean, in in one sense, you could say, wow, you know, but the audacity of Paul to claim ownership. Who is this guy? You realize like, okay, he's a dead guy spiritually speaking i mean not spiritually carnally speaking spiritually speaking he's a warrior deadly but he says of himself to the galatian saints that if we or any of us present another gospel you know don't don't receive it the gospel that he presents is in perfect alignment to jesus christ perfect alignment But only the Berean Berean would know this. Only the Berean would understand. And so we see here. For our gospel did not come to you in word only. Now, let's pause here for a moment. Our gospel did not come to you in word only. Now, if you pause here, I mean, there's not a period here, but if there were a period here, this is the realm of babies. This is the realm of adolescence and a large chunk of the mature where, you know, it's in word only. But there's another realm. And it's the realm of the deadly. And, you know, listen to our study through Galatians. You'll understand this concept of being deadly in Christ. Remember the demons, you know, you know, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who in the world are you? And the realm of the deadly, he says, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also, also in power. Dunamis in the Greek. Dunamis, where you get the word dynamite from. Dunamis. And in the Holy Spirit. That's that's a different ballgame. Because a gospel that comes in word only. I mean, yes, it's beautiful to study the scriptures and search the scriptures. Yes. But don't forget what happened with Philip in Acts chapter 8. He evangelizes and praise be to the Lord because people received Jesus Christ. They repented and became Christians. They were believers and there was a small group of people who became Christians. Christians. And they believed in Jesus Christ. You say, praise be to the Lord. Okay, we're all done. No, we're not all done. Hold the phone there, my friend. Because Peter and John come to town and they perceive that the Holy Spirit had not fallen on them. And it was them. They laid hands on these people. Men, women, young, old, they laid hands on them. And by the laying on of hands, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. see? And that's what I'm talking about. Power. It is entirely possible for a person to believe in Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit. We don't want that for anybody. That's where you see religion. Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. But I'm going to go do my sex, my drugs, my alcohol. Because there's no helper. Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ, and oh, I don't, you know, I'm not going to partake in this and all these works of the flesh, and I got to, you know, I'm very devout, and I got to do this, and I need the sacraments, I need the, the, the liturgy, I need this, so I'm going to go to this, you know, Eastern Orthodox, I'm going to go to this Catholic place because I need this, I need to see it with my own eyes, I need to see the sacraments, I need to see the chalice, I need to see this and all the semblance of what I perceive to be holy, I need this, That's religion. And also, you know, it's not, it's not Christianity, biblical Christianity, biblical Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. Same with Eastern Orthodox. And I say, you know, if that's you, if you're, if, if you're in those environments of Catholicism, Eastern Orthodox, jump ship. Come out. Come out of her, my people. If you're Calvinist Reformed, jump ship. Come out of her, my people. We are in the last days. Certain ships will kill you. But there is only one. There is only one where death has no sting. It's Jesus Christ, the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus. Rick Warren's Jesus, you're in trouble. Jump ship. If that's you, if you go to Saddleback, if you're in Saddleback, jump ship. Come out of her, my people. It's a hireling. A wolf. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says, our gospel did not come to you in word only. But also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in, in much assurance, which is full assurance and confidence, as you know what kind of men we, we were among you for your sake. I love this. What kind of men we were, of what sort? The caliber. What caliber of man is this? What caliber of men is Paul and Silas and Timothy and Dr. Luke? What is the caliber of men? I meant look at little Timmy when he was a child, a little kid. What parent, what, not just mom and not just dad, but a duo, mom and dad, and not just then grandma, throw grandma in the mix. What kind of people would say of their own kin, according to the flesh, take our little son? Speaking of Timothy. Who could you say that to? Who could you say that to? Take our son. It's very dangerous to say. It's dangerous to even think. It's dangerous to do. Accept with very few of very specific caliber. that's what Paul is talking about here. Remember, remember Thessalonica, straight up home invasion. This is home invasion territory. And not just home invasion territory, this is glitz and glam territory. Something that Demas succumbed to. The glitz and glam of Thessalonica, the the land of opportunity. Oh, look, if I, if I leave the bubble of Paul, oh, look, I can go over here and make a lot of money. I can go over here and get a good job over here. I can start a business over here. I can go over here, and get a good job. And, you know, I'm gonna, oh, I, 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 I'm, you know, I'm going to, uh, uh, oh, I'm gonna leverage. I'm gonna do my leverage. And I'm gonna put my, I'm gonna apply here, apply here and say, okay, you know, then do my leverage here, leverage there, bada bing, bada boom, and boom. Bright lights, big city. Hello, Thessalonica. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived, my friends. Like Demas. Paul says to the saints who are in the territory of Glitz and Glam Bright Lights, Big City who are in the territory of home invasion. He says, you guys know, now you guys guys might think this. He says, you know what kind of men we were. Among you. We weren't the grave soakers. We weren't the defunct like in Corinth. We weren't of the mark of the beast people. We, we never called the Holy Spirit glitter. We're not replacement theology. God teaching God is done with Israel. For a mom and dad and grandma to all be on board with saying, not that the grandma has a say, but I mean, you know, eh, sometimes grandmas have say, sometimes grandmas are straight up crazy. Remember, look at the formula. For for mom and dad and grandma to all be on board. Paul, take little Timmy. That's a a good caliber guy. And as little Timmy grows, that's a good caliber Timothy. A future pastor. You know what kind of men we were among you. And it's not it's not for like, wow, look at these godly men. No, for your sake, he says. It's for the saints. Paul, Timothy, uh, Peter, uh, Silas. God has these people for the saints. I mean, it's, it's for Jesus, number one. Their service is unto Jesus, number one. But then at the same time, understand, you know, for these, for these particular Vessels for these particular patterns, these men of high caliber, very specific ca- caliber. But God is the one who has these people in service unto Him for the benefit of the saints. God is the one. You see? Peter. Paul wasn't blind and then you know got his vision back and says, you know what? I think I'm gonna be a pastor. Paul wasn't blind and all of a sudden he's in Ananias' house and you know, okay, you know, nice to meet you, Ananias. How you doing? And okay, thank you for my eyesight, and okay, you know, I'm gonna you know, I think I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach this gospel of Jesus that I've heard about. No, oh, this is the Lord who says, Is it easy to kick against the goats? You say that to a Pharisee, and not just any, you know, plain Jane Pharisee, a Pharisee Pharisee is a student of Gamaliel, and he says, is it easy to kick against the goads? That's, I mean, it's, it's a God, I mean, listen to our study, even Acts, and you see our references to Exodus, it's like, well, this is, this, (laughs) that's hardcore, I mean, I say it's hardcore, and I, I, you know, I'm. If you can see me face to face, you know, I, I got a smile on my face because when I say it's hardcore, it's it's kind of like a, like a because you know when when they did kick against the goal, you know the, the 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 I mean, it was like life and death, life and death, like an ultimatum almost, and. Paul received his vision. His vision was taken away by the Lord, given back to him by the Lord. Ananias prayed over him. And the Lord says, Saul, you are no longer Saul, you are Paul. Well, I mean, you know, they call him Paul. Not a name change, but, you know, reference point. I mean, you listen to our study the book of Acts and you'll understand more. And the Lord is the one who says, This is what you're going to do, Paul. I'm going to use you. And before he told Paul, he told Ananias. Remember, Ananias was kind of scared, like, Lord, are you sure it's this guy? Are you sure this is the guy? Because I've heard about him and he's gone and arrested and killed and captured and, you know. And the Lord revealed his plans to Ananias. He's the vessel I'm going to use to preach the good news, preach the gospel to Jew and Gentile. It's not Paul saying, oh, I want to do good for my community. I want to do good for my community, so I think I'm going to be a pastor. No, it's the Lord who says, Paul, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to use you. That's the caliber of men. Peter, the caliber of men in Peter, in Paul, in James, Timothy, Titus, Silas. Beautiful, beautiful people. Men, 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 men. These are like pastors and elders, always male. But don't forget the beautiful patterns that are female, like Chloe. I mean, the Bible studies in Corinth in 1 Corinthians three. Me personally, and I speak as a male, I would hate it. I, I, would, I would hate those Bible studies. I mean, we're, we're, by the defunct past, but defunct defunct pastors, defunct. But the saints, you know, in the Bible study in Chloe's house, that was straight up meat and potatoes. The milk drinkers were in the big church. Meat and potatoes? That was in Chloe's house. You see? And of these men, very high caliber, not to get on a high horse and be, oh, look how studly we are. Look how high caliber we are. No, Paul says, we're trash. First Corinthians 3. And in obedience to the Lord, that these, it's for the sake of the saints. Patterns. To feed the saints, to protect the saints. To die for the saints. You see? the example we gave several weeks ago, and we referred to quite a bit, baby girl in the house. Baby girl is nice and safe in the house but the wolves are gonna come. These vessels that the Lord uses to feed, baby girl, they also are wolf killers, metaphysically speaking, but they kill the wolf. You see? Very specific. They don't come just in word only, and not to not to not to say that the word not to not to the word is like everything. The word became flesh. The word is beautiful. The word is the worm. The logos. But there's something else to take notice of beautiful saints or beautiful saint, I'll say. When you're a Berean, it's beautiful to be a Berean. Search the scriptures with a noble heart. with Readiness. And how you receive the word. Beautiful. Seek and you will find. But also look for the power. Also look for the Holy Spirit. And that's a different ballgame. Remember the believers with Philip? They believe in Jesus Christ. John and Peter come to town. And when they laid hands, boom, they received the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't for my charismatic brothers and sisters. This isn't like, you know, what you see on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly. If that's you, if you're charismatic, Pentecostal, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. The Bible is very specific on how the Holy Spirit works. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are many gifts. The gift of of tongues is one of many. One of many, and not the greatest gift. The greatest gift is love. Listen to our studies of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. You'll understand. You see, the you know, our gospel did not come to you in word only in verse 5, but also in power. It's not what you see on TV where a guy waves his hand at the audience and like people fall over. No, that's a mockery. You see the fruit of the Spirit. You can see it, but you have to have eyes to see. And that's what you look for. You see? And we see that in verse 6, and you, remember, the saints in Thessalonica, put things in perspective here. This is home invasion territory. This is glitz and glam, you know, bright lights big city of Thessalonica. What Demas succumbs to? And in verse 6, And you became followers of us and of the Lord. Now, you take you take the defunct pastor in 1 Corinthians 4, we'll say. Because remember, 1 Corinthians 5 is the great separation. I say the great separation, but separation is... We'll say separation. We'll table the other part for a future study. (laughs) For the defunct pastor in Corinth, circa 1 Corinthians 3 and 4, for him to say, follow me. And for Paul to say, follow me. With one, it is dangerous. With the other, it is safe. For Rick Warren to say, follow me. And for Paul to say, follow me. With one, it is dangerous. With one, it is safe. Only the Berean will know. You're not a Berean, you'll hear, oh, this guy look make a mega church, mega church, a lot of people look, he's very friendly. He's got these books. He says, Oh, this psychology, it really helped me. I'm gonna follow him. And you listen to what he says. Oh yeah, just don't don't mind prophecy. Don't get distracted with prophecy. And anybody who, who studies prophecy and who he gets distracted by prophecy, they're not fit for the kingdom of God. The non-Borean, whoa, look, this pastor, megachurch, look, he's got the fruit. I can see the fruit in these thousands of people and... He says they're not fit for the kingdom of God. Okay, then therefore they're not fit for the kingdom of God, and I don't like you. I don't like you. I don't like you. I don't like you. You're crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. But the Berean, very specific formula, the Berean who searches the Scriptures with all readiness, noble heart, can be sitting in the pews of Saddleback and hear him say, "Don't be distracted." By Bible prophecy. Because anyone who does such. Is not fit for the kingdom of God. And the brain would say. What in the world is this poison. Coming from the pulpit. You see. You see how the Lord. The word of. These things that we study. There are. shrouded in ministry or shrouded in mystery that's how the word was I mean you know the word became flesh it's very important to understand the word became flesh but in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word Became flesh. You see, until the seed. Remember, everything in a, the law points to Christ, but pre-law it was according to promise to Abraham. That's very specific in all generation from Adam. All generations after that, eyes to see, ears to hear required and it's never seek and you might find when the formula is right in your heart in anybody's heart and you seek the lord with a noble heart you seek the lord in with uh, 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 with readiness to receive the word You will find, absolutely, 100%, you will find. But, understand, when we see the home invasion scenario in Thessalonica, that world was turned upside down. And when the formula is right in you and you grow and mature in Christ, in the case of Jason, there wasn't a lot of time to grow and mature. But look at the opposition that was right there. Boom, home invasion. You see, when the formula is wrong, you want to sit in the pews of you know the grave soakers. You want to sit in the pews of the Holy Spirit is glitter. You want to sit in the pews of take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You'll have friendliness with the world. No home invasion. Why? What's you're no threat. No threat whatsoever. Why? Satan knows the formula is crazy. Satan knows that the formula does not align with the word of God. That's what he wants. But when the formula is right, that's like straight up home invasion material. I'm not, you know, advocating home invasions, but I'm at, you know, them. And when, when you're on the receiving end of, you know, the arrows... That's a good sign. Being in the crosshairs, that's a good sign. currently speaking, that's like, well, that's crazy to be in the crosshairs. That's a good sign. Yes, absolutely. Don't forget, we have armor. We're going to take hits. The church in the last days, saints. I don't want to say church in the last days, saints in the last days. Why? Because... Post Revelation, or after Revelation 4, people say you don't see the word church because the church has been raptured. No, you see that you don't see the word church because the church has been judged in accordance to what the Spirit said to Peter that the church judgment comes first in the church. So what happens? You see the isolation of the saints in the book of Revelation. The isolation of saints so happens we live in a time where we're starting to see the isolation of saints. You see? Look at all the other things that are happening. All of it converging. Signs of the times for such a time as this. And in this in this Thessalonican scenario for the saints in Thessalonica to become a follower of, of of Paul, remember Paul says, "Follow me as I follow Christ." Very dangerous to follow just anyone when you look at the caliber. Not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. You look at the caliber. It's safe to follow Paul. It's safe to follow Timothy. It's safe to follow Titus, John, Jude, Peter. It's safe. Verse 6 You became followers of us and of the Lord. Having received the word, which is a beautiful thing, received the word, says a lot about their hearts. In the chaos of Thessalonica, In much affliction or tribulation. You see? With joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, this with, in the Greek, it is not N, E N. It is not E N. It is not N. Which is like, you see, like, you know, with, like if I were to say, you know, uh, I want um, uh, gravy with my potatoes. Uh, you know. A lot of food references, but I want gravy with my potatoes. That would be like, I want gravy and potatoes, you know, with. But you don't see that. That's not how this with is. This is, having received the word in much affliction, metta, metta in the Greek, metta. It's this association and accompaniment. Having joy in this association and accompaniment with the Holy Spirit. You see It's not just, you know, gravy on my potatoes, gravy with my potatoes. No, it's it's not even like that at all. It's much deeper. Much much deeper. Remember Thessalonica, this is home invasion material. Tribulation. Trouble and joy of the spirit and not like gravy and potato scenario this is meta. this is that accompaniment it's much deeper joy in tribulation i mean considering the great do-over juxtaposing thessalonica and corinth this great do-over will come again in the last days We know what to look for. Not word only. But look for a specific caliber in teacher, in pastor, in elder. Look for a, I'll boil it down even smaller. Look for specific caliber men as pastor. Period. Very hard to find, but they're there. I mean two thousand years ago you could be you know two thousand years ago, maybe twenty yards apart, and you know they it grows for you know forty yards apart, fifty yards apart, a hundred yards apart, the further separation time wise. But in the last days, 20 miles apart. Fewer, hard to find. And we're moving closer to a time when no flesh will be saved. Even the elect. No flesh will be saved. Even the elect, unless those days be shortened. see? And I love this so much because it's like, whoa, wait a second. It just boils it down even further. When you look at the caliber of man and, and Paul and Silas and Dr. Luke. Little Timmy. Caliber. Now you look at, remember how, you know, the spiritual fight, how it touches into the physical, depending on the feelers of people. In the case of the religious leaders, it's like, wow, you know, they, they became envious. The little feelers, they became envious because they didn't dethrone their feelers. And so they became envious and inside of their heart, inside of their mind, they responded to that envy and says, okay, we're going to instigate this crowd. We're going to talk to the rebel rousers and the evil minded people and we're going to use them and exploit them and use them for our purpose. And okay, go to Jason's house. This is where he lives. This is his address. Okay, go invade went in there and just started talking in the synagogue that's all he did and he was teaching Jesus Christ proclaiming Jesus Christ and these are things that you're going to find grow and grow in intensity in the last days when you stand for Christ and the formula is right everything, the formula is perfect and when that's you not if that's you, when that's you. you if that's not you today I say that by faith that it will be you tomorrow. And when you stand for Christ and stand in Christ. Then you teach Christ and you proclaim Christ. Some, you'll, you'll win. Others, when they don't dethrone their feelers, who are led by their feelers. They're going to grow envious. They're going to grow angry. They're going to get incensed. They're going to be offended. They're I mean, Being offended is one of the signs of the last days. Many will be offended. But blessed is he who is not offended because of me. That's what Jesus says. Now when you stand, you're going to offend people. And people who are led by their feelers, their little feelers, their emotions. Oh, I don't like this. The way this guy said this. The way this lady said this. And he hurt my feelings and she hurt my feelings. Therefore, uh I'm going to spread these rumors. Therefore, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to beat him up. I'm going to, you know, scratch his car. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And ultimately, you know what's going to happen? The world in agreement not just with the spirit of Antichrist, but with the Antichrist. We'll say, we want their heads. You see? But don't forget verse 6. Receive the word in much affliction, much tribulation. I mean, look at Acts 17. You know Jason believes in Jesus Christ and all of a sudden he's being invaded. Home invasion. But yet he received the word in much affliction but not en. meta meta, The joy of the Holy Spirit. Carnally speaking, you look at Stephen. Picture Stephen. He's about to get stoned. He takes the first stone to the face which is painful. And yet How could this be joy? The only way it could be joyful is with metta, oneness with the Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus Christ and oneness unto Him. You see? This is what you look for. Not just word only, also power and also the Holy Spirit. There are people today who say, Oh, the Holy Spirit, what were you reading in the book of Acts? That was for two thousand years ago, it's not for today. Those are fools. Fools. They do not know the scriptures. They search the scriptures because in them they think there is eternal life. But they do not hear the scriptures. This is where you find the glitter people. This is where you find the grave soakers. This is where you find the mark of the beast people. This is where you find the replacement theology. Coalitions. A lot of religion, but no relationship. How dare you say this? Only the Berean will know. Only the biblical Berean. Will know and understand. The word of God is a mystery. Understood. It's possible completely possible to understand the mystery. Completely possible. The Lord is the one who says, seek and you will find. But in saying that, he knows: okay, yeah, seek and you'll find. But don't seek. You know, to bash. Don't seek to mock. Seek with readiness of heart. Be prepared for what you're going to receive. And when you do receive, and your heart is noble and pure, and it, it's, that's the formula. That's why, you know, in, in Peter's case, He goes to the people, Acts 2. He goes to the people and they were cut to the heart. He goes to the religious leaders and they were cut to the heart. Both groups of people were cut to the heart at the very things that Brother Peter was saying. Both people cut to the heart. Except in one group, the formula was right in their heart. They had readiness in their heart. They had a noble heart. And they received Jesus Christ. They were cut to the heart, but look at the condition of their heart. And they received Jesus Christ. The mystery became known. The veil was removed. But to another group of people, they were cut to the heart and truth was still enshrouded. The veil remained. The veil of their heart. And what did they say? Okay. We're going to beat up Peter. You see. On one group. Both groups. Both of them were cut to the heart. Completely different responses. Because that's the word. And the word became flesh. Became. Became. Became flesh. It's the mystery. And the word of God will remain a mystery unless the formula is right. In anybody's heart, I don't care who you are, you might be a prostitute listening and your the heart is perfect, beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. And you feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit like, oh my goodness, like what is this? I tell you, it's divine appointment. I don't care if you're a prostitute, drug dealer, gangster. I don't care, politician. I don't care. You come to Christ. You believe in Jesus Christ, okay? Repent. Receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If that's you, hit pause, listen to the message, How to Commit Your Life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ, okay? Praise be to the Lord. Let's grow and mature together. Learn how to fight. But I also know that some people hear these words and they hate not just the message. They hate the messenger. And you're going to experience this when you stand for Christ. And always remember the words of our Lord. They hated me first. You see? To to understand the word of God. It's, these aren't gimmies. The the, the the power of the Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're not gimmies. Because there's a lot of people who present the gospel and it's word only. It's not a gimme to have the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's not a gimme. In the case of Philip... It was John and Peter who perceived, okay, yes, these are brothers and sisters in Christ, but they do not have the Holy Spirit. And if they do not have the Holy Spirit, there is no power. These aren't gimmies. Anyone and everyone claims the title of pastor and teacher. But the Bible has a very specific formula. Many fake the power because they have none. And so they, you turn on Tricky Believers nightly TBN you see the guy take off his you know he takes off his blazer and you know waves it across the audience and the audience falls over mockery People who have no power of the Holy Spirit oh that was for 2000 years ago not for today the Holy Spirit doesn't work that show me in the bible where there's an expiration date on the Holy Spirit They fake the power because they have no power. There's no supernatural comfort. There's only the comfort of the psychoanalyst and carnal remedies. There is no joy of the Spirit when there is no Holy Spirit. You see? Oh, this is a great pastor. He's helped me in this. He's helped me in that. That's more of a therapy session. I'm talking about the comfort of the Holy Spirit, even in tribulation, as is written here in verse 6, having received the word in much affliction, much tribulation, and we're straight up talking about home invasion type material. And yet, not just with the joy of the Spirit, this is straight up metta. It's deep inside. It's much deeper this intimacy with the Lord and the power of His Spirit and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Outside of that, there's no joy. No joy. You ever see Christians like that? They believe in Jesus Christ. They might even know the Scriptures and know the Scriptures well. Just like the Pharisees, Jesus says, You search the scriptures for in them you think there is eternal life. And indeed, the scriptures do contain eternal life. But it's still a mystery. The formula in the seeker, the formula in the Pharisee? No. Not right. The formula in the religious leaders that wanted to beat up Peter? No, not right. The heart of the seeker, not right. The heart of the seekers in Acts, two, uh, Acts chapter 2? Beautiful. And look what happened. You see, Christians today, they believe in Jesus Christ. They have religion. They have no relationship. And they say, "Oh, the Holy Spirit—that was for two thousand years ago. It's not for today." You don't find joy. You might see laughter, like you know, you tell a joke and they laugh. You see, but you won't find joy of the Spirit. Don't be don't be surprised when you know we study these things. You hear us say these things. Don't be surprised. Don't don't be surprised nor soon shaken. Understand the times. That these things must happen for all of Scripture to be fulfilled. You see? Not word only. Metta power. Metta, Holy Spirit. In verse 7. Now you see the fruit of it in verse seven, so that you became examples, became, it's a process, became examples, tupos, in the Greek, tupos, which is a pattern. And this is the fruit of the spirit. People say the fruit is numbers. Oh, look, this church has got a thousand people. Look at the fruit. No, the, the fruit's much deeper. That's not even that's like like a carnal fruit. I mean, have you ever gone to a church where there's 500 people and you're there and you're like, you feel like you're in a nightclub. You're like, what in the world? You got the, you know, smoke machines over here. People are the the ladies are dressed like this. The guys behave like this. They talk like this. They're talking about all these shows that I can't even watch. They talk about shows that I can't even watch. You You know, it's just like, what in the world? They want to talk about, you know, the, the different shows and they speak a certain way and guys are hitting on the ladies. The ladies are hitting on the guys and it's like, well, this pastor gets out. And he has his rock star voice and, you know, he has his highlights in his hair and the worship. It's like a band. It's like, a, you know, like, more like a concert. They got the smoke machines. They got the lights. They dim the lights they have this, you know, laser light show. Oh, but there's thousands of people in this church. They might call themselves a church. But is it ecclesia? An assembly of those who are called? An assembly of the sanctified? An assembly of the consecrated? Or is it just a social club? You see, we make these distinctions in this great do-over of our age, in these last days. Be mindful of these things. I've spoken to a lot of Christians. They're heartbroken because they've had to leave a church. And yes, I understand there is heartbreak. But remember, our loyalty is to Jesus Christ. You see? pastor wants to go off in a crazy town that's between him and the lord as for you if it is no longer safe for you from a doctrinal perspective is if it is no longer safe for you to fellowship jump ship leave judgment comes first to the house of god you see And so you see here in, in the, the uh, uh, like in verse six says, you became followers of us. Now it's not just, okay, followers of Paul and Titus and Silas and Dr. Luke. It's not just followers. Now look in verse seven. Now you see the fruit of it. Not just, not numbers. I don't say not just numbers, but let's forget numbers. Now you have Thessalonica. Now they're examples so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Now, who believe here? It's not pistis in the Greek. There's pistis, which is to believe. But this is pisteo, which is much deeper. It's to trust in commitment to the Lord. Amen. You could say of Corinth, like 1 Corinthians 3, the milk drinkers, pistis, a lot of believers. But a little different among the remnant. That was pisteo. Much deeper. They trust in the Lord. They're deeply committed to the Lord. You make these distinctions. Babies are beautiful. But being a baby is dangerous. And among the babies is also found the leaven. When You understand that? Okay, balls in your court. I mean, if you're a baby, okay, balls in your court move on to perfection if you're in a fellowship and maybe you're adolescent or more mature and you realize like wow this church is like you know babies now you look at the pastor and you're like okay pastor what's up everybody's defunct you know arrested development for 10 years what's up pastor if the pastor is set in his ways that's like straight up you know jump ship arena Understand the times. It's going to get much... This is nothing we're like... This is playpen material. that the, the days that we're in right now. This is like playpen. Not even playpen. This is like... A little, little walk through the... Walk, walk through the meadow. Not even a walk. This is like a little... Raindrops on petals. It's nothing. It's going to get much, much, much worse... Oh but Rick Warren says you know if you study the prof- study prophecy and you study the things of the last days and you're not fit for the kingdom of God that's nice who is he who is he oh but he's got these study bibles got this mega church that's nice who is he who is he if he does not repent and receive the real Jesus and repent of his wickedness this mega church guy will burn in hell. You want to follow that? You see? Word, power, Holy Spirit. Look for that in your pastor. Pastors, if you don't have that, you got some serious decisions to make. This is like step-down material. This is like you can no longer pastor material. The formula has got to be right in you, pastor. These days are evil. These days are wicked. And it's going to get much, 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 much worse. We're moving forward to the time when no flesh would be saved unless those days be shortened. Even the elect. We're moving closer to the times where they'll want our heads. You see, and so we continue in closing here. Now the 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 Thessalonians became now examples in verse seven. We see in verse eight. For from you, now remember the saints are now examples, from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. You see how the word goes forth? Your faith toward God has gone out. This is so beautiful. Turn with me really quick to Matthew, the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. we see here in Matthew 5, we see two segments of church culture. Matthew 5, verse 13, we see, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And that's what we see today in these last days. But I speak to the remnant. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, in the last days, in these last days, people will see the light, and they will want you dead. They will see the light and they will want you dead. But look at Thessalonica, look what happened when they saw the light. Straight up home invasion. And when you understand the times and you look for the specific formula, and you have the specific formula, don't forget the meta Meta The joy of the Holy Spirit. In the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Lord. I mean, all these things, I mean, we're, we're living in a time where all these doctrines are going to be put to the test. Doctrines will be put to the test. I mean, every single way of conduct in the world... Christianity or no Christianity, every single form of conduct in the world, a man's conduct, a woman's conduct in this world will be put to the test. And every single form, every single way, every single means, every single method, every single doctrine, every single religion will fail. Except for one. A narrow path. There is only one way. Not just any Christ, the real Christ whose word is above his name. That is the only way. I'm just the messenger. But you see how when the light shines in Thessalonica, Look at the fruit of it. How in verse 8, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. How powerful is that? How beautiful is that? Paul in this little bubble, they don't need to say anything. I mean, picture that for a moment. A pastor who doesn't have to say anything and a teacher who doesn't have to say anything, uh, an evangelist who doesn't have to say anything. Why? Because that's how palpable the light was in Thessalonica yes there was darkness in Thessalonica the glitz and the glam and the bright lights the big city and all that's entailed the home and vision yes there's absolutely darkness but the light was so bright the faith toward God has gone out so mightily that these vessels of the Lord he, Paul. this is Paul's <laughs> Paul. This isn't just the average bear. This is Paul saying, look, we don't have to say anything. It says a lot about the saints. This says a lot about Jason. And those like him. In verse 9, for they themselves declare, remember the word goes forth. they themselves declare concerning us. This is Paul's bubble and the saints of Thessalonica. Now you see the inclusion, you know, you make these distinctions of, okay, these are the saints. This is the ecclesia of the saints in Thessalonica and this is Paul's bubble. But look at the greater bubble, which is the ecclesia, which includes Paul, the ecclesia, which includes Silas and Timothy with Jason, with the saints in Thessalonica. And so you see in verse 9, for they themselves declare concerning us, the koinonia, what manner of entry we had to you, now that's referring to Paul's bubble, and how you, now it's the saints, and how you turned to God. You see? How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Verse 9 is Beautiful. I mean, it's all beautiful, but verse 9, is like, wow, this this really touches me. Because concerning us, the, the greater bubble of the Ecclesia and Episunagage, the saints of the Most High, worker and field together. But then when you break it down, what manner of entry we had to you, meaning, you know, when Paul and this little bubble, when they enter Thessalonica, you know, three sabbaths in synagogue referencing act 17 what we read at the beginning and then the fruit of that and how you turned to god from idols to serve the living and true god that's beautiful now you see the spiritual fight i mean you've seen it before but i meant like when we look at 1 Thessalonians 1, we juxtapose that, overlay it with Acts 17 and certain passages here and certain passages there. It's like, whoa. You see, these warriors of God, Paul, this entourage, little, little Timmy, Dr. Luke, Silas. You see, it's like a fire team. A little platoon, little fire team. Breach into Thessalonica, a little entry point into Thessalonica. And they engage in spiritual warfare. And the victory? Unto the Lord? Jason. And those of noble hearts. They turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You say, wait a second. But these guys, they they were going to synagogue. They're serving the Lord. They're going over here. They're serving the Lord. Look, there's... We're talking about the living and true God. Remember, you know Egypt. When when the, the, the plagues came to Egypt, the Lord turned the water into blood. And according to the gods of Egypt and the, the magicians of Egypt, they said, "Pharaoh, Pharaoh! Look, we can do it too. Look, the God of the, the God of, the, uh, of Israel, the God of Moses, He turns the water red. Look, we can. Our gods can do it too. We can do it too. Look." Absolutely, they could do it. There is power behind these other gods. But there is only one Almighty. The gods of Egypt couldn't make it hail. And as the Lord gradually made himself known, all of a sudden these magicians and sorcerers in accordance to the gods of egypt they were the ones who turned and said to pharaoh pharaoh let them go because our gods can't do that their god the god of israel he is almighty that's what's going to happen in the last days as everybody's method of conduct in the world will be tested and every single method of man Will fail. Every single method of man will fail. There is only one way that won't fail, and it's not of man, it's of Christ. You and me, we abide in Him. You look at these saints in Thessalonica, they turned to God from idols. I don't care. Sex, drugs, alcohol, Ouija boards, wickedness, you know, evil, satanic, I don't care. You come to Christ right here, right now. Today is the day of salvation. Let that be said of you and for you. For God's glory. But I can't force it on anybody. You have to make a choice. Balls in your court? You have a choice to make. The same way the saints in Thessalonica had to make for themselves. You have to make for your, I don't care, you know, you might be with mom and dad, you might be with brother and sister and uncle and aunt and whatever, and they might think you're crazy. That's nice. If they want to burn in hell, that's between them and the Lord. I'm talking to you. You come to Christ. You hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ right here, right now. And so we see these saints of Thessalonica to serve the living and true God in verse 10 and to wait or await and to wait for, to wait for his son from heaven. Now, this is very hardcore implications for us today. The return of Jesus Christ as these prophecies are converging for such a time as this. Multiple things happening all at once for such a time as this. Look at the isolation of the saints. Look at the, the lure of Thessalonica. Something that, remember, Demas succumbed to. Leaving Paul's bubble. Love is waxing cold. The heart of man is failing. You see? The confederation of Arab nations and Middle Eastern nations. The inclusion of Israel. The year of Jubilee and preparation for the year of Jubilee proclaimed by the Pope. Vicar of Antichrist. UN Secretary General saying how we must turbocharge towards Agenda 2030. Look at Magog growing. Look at the alliance of China and Russia and Iran. Look at the Euphrates River that is drying for such a time as this, making way for the kings of the east in preparation for the battle of Armageddon for such a time as this. Oh, by the way, government mandates. Put this in your body. Put this in your body. And if you don't have it in your body, you can't buy or sell. I'm not saying that. These things are the actual mark of the beast, but we're moving toward that direction. You see? Human integration into blockchain technology. Oh, but you can make a lot of money with Bitcoin. You can make a lot of money with cryptocurrency. That's nice. You want to burn in hell? Okay. You got to understand the prophecies. Oh, but Rick Warren says that anybody who who studies the the prophecies and is distracted by prophecies is not fit for the kingdom of God. That's nice. You want to listen to a charlatan? You want to obey the wolf, servant of Satan? You want to heed his counsel? Balls in your court. Verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come, who delivers us, which is to rescue, a straight up rescue mission. There are deeper implications to this deliverance which will... We'll table for studies in the future. Lord willing. It's a rescue mission. Even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is Orge. Orge. It's very important to make these distinctions. Because Orge, Satan's wrath is not Orge. Satan's wrath is Thumos. The great tribulation is for the saints. It's not, you know, uh, like, the, 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 reference our studies in the last days. We have certain studies that you have to listen to. One of them is called uh, Jacob's Trouble, biblically explained. The other one is When is the Rapture? Listen to those two studies. You'll understand more. I do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. Why? It is not in the Bible. It is unbiblical. Is It is in accordance to theories of men. It is unbiblical. And I've had these long conversations with the pre-tribulation rapture people. A lot of them are starting to deny those things of pre-tribulation rapture because they've been taught their whole life. They've been Christian their whole life and they thought we weren't supposed to be here. We weren't supposed to be here. And now we see these things start to happen, these events of the last days in preparation for the beginning of the 70th week and the Bible indicates what's going to happen, you know precursory, the beginning, the middle, the end, and a lot of things in between and we're not supposed to be here we're not supposed to be here. well in accordance to that theory, yes. but does the theory align with scripture? No. and if that Is you You believe in the pre-tribulation rapture Number one Listen to those two studies Jacob's trouble biblically explained And then uh, uh, when is the rapture Pre-tribulation rapture theory Is only a theory But it does not line up with scripture Satan will have his wrath Thumos And it will be given to him to prevail against the saints. God's wrath? That's orge. That's like, you know, it's done. Like, like, God's wrath is done. And saints are not appointed to God's wrath. But saints will certainly experience Satan's wrath. Thumos. Not orge, thumos. Saints will certainly and already and always have been and feel the wrath of Satan and the false prophet and all who follow the Antichrist in accordance with the evil Numa and Numos, the spirit of Antichrist. When you understand the scriptures and not just, you know, not just a Brian, like, you know, textbook knowledge. I'm talking about a Brian where, you know, the noble heart, you see, not just in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. Now with affliction and tribulation is the joy of the Holy Spirit. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Remember, the wheat and the tares, they grow together until the harvest. You see? And it's all in preparation for the great winepress of God. When we look at these passages in Thessalonica, the the letters to the saints in Thessalonica, it's jam-packed with Bible prophecy. Jam-packed with Bible prophecy. And I say unto you, Behold, the days of Noah... Behold the days of Elijah and Maranatha. The people of the way, saints of these last days, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.